Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we are live on tape from Dublin. Today, we are going to talk about the Beatles' double A-sides. So, in the official Beatles singles canon from 1962 to 1970 in the UK, they put out 21 singles. 17 of those got to number one. Uh, but four of those singles were double A-sided singles. And each one came out at a different point in their career and tells a little bit of a, a different story. So, uh, we're going to look at those four singles today. Stephen, something I did not know until I started looking into it was that the Beatles invented the double A-sided single. Yes, this, this had never happened before. Uh, this is essentially just to explain where each side of a 45 is designated as an A-side in its own right. Um, never been done before. I think it's indicative maybe uh, the rivalry between John and Paul. You have two top-notch songwriters producing material. Um, there's an embarrassment of riches. Uh, they're fighting over the... The, the primary spot. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you're right, they're, they're a group that was kind of perfectly designed for double A-sides because you have two A-side personalities trying to drive the group forward. Now, there were certainly instances in rock and roll of B-sides taking over and becoming the A-side. So Rock Around the Clock famously was a, was a B-side originally until it became an A-side. But the first double A-sided single, as we know today, was, as I said, by the Beatles. And so let's just get stuck in. The first double A-side that they put out was on the 3rd of December 1965, and it was We Can Work It Out and Day Tripper. Um, What is fascinating about this particular one is that it comes out on the exact same day as Rubber Soul, and neither song is featured on Rubber Soul. So that's that's quite a statement of intent. It is, uh, particularly when you consider that they were struggling to complete Rubber Soul. They were up against a deadline. Um, They were running out of material. But it seems to have been the case that uh, there, w- there was never any suggestion that these songs were going to be on the album itself. Uh, that, that's one of the things that the Beatles were known for, was not putting out a single uh, where the material was already on uh, an LP. Yeah, and if you kind of look at the previous Decembers, so in December 63, they put out the With the Beatles album and the single was I Want to Hold Your Hand. That single's not on the album. In December 64, they put out the Beatles for Sale album and the single I Feel Fine. I Feel Fine is not on the album. And they're doing the same trick again in, in 1965 um, with a double A-side. Do you... I, I kind of never really think of those two songs, We Can Work It Out and Day Tripper, as being cut from the same cloth as Rubber Soul. I don't think they belong on Rubber Soul in a way. No, I, I, I think I would agree with that. They they, they have a different sound. Mm. And maybe it's just over familiarity with them, the idea that they are a single, they stand apart. But I think if you tried to slot them in to Rubber Soul, you know, if you dropped 
uh, track or two tracks off Rubber Soul, I, I think they would be quite jarring. Yeah. Um, I think particularly Day Tripper, um, to me, is a slight hangover from uh, sort of the help era. Ticket to Ride and Day Tripper seem to me to sit quite comfortably together. Yes. We can work it out. Perhaps more of that sort of org- organic, uh, acoustic, rubber mm. soul feel to it. Feel to it, yeah. And I mean, Day Tripper, we kind of learned after the fact that it was sort of understood to have been written as a single. It's a bit formulaic from Lennon in terms of he, he knew they needed a single and this was how he went about doing it. Um, do you think that's a bit obvious in the song? Or I do. I mean, I think, I think what you've got, if you look at previous singles you mentioned I Feel Fine you could uh, Ticket to Ride uh, Day Tripper seems to sit for me at least seems to sit in that uh, lineage it's got a, a distinctive riff um, I think it seems to me to be purpose written mm. uh, 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 as the next single Yes. Um, and I think this was, this was we shouldn't underestimate the competition to have the next single within yeah. the band um, you know, Lennon's uh, was really dominating the songwriting up to Hard Day's Night. That was really the peak, I think, uh, of his uh, songwriting ability. Suddenly then McCartney is uh, coming up in the inside track. Mm. Um, so competition for the next single, I think, is very fierce at this point. And then, so to pair that with We Can Work It Out, they're, they're both kind of two sides of a kind of a, a, a relationship coin. So you have Day Tripper, which is this kind of old school rocking Beatles. You know, it's a song about a girl. It's got that big teaser pun, which is kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Really, yeah. it's, it's a bit of an obnoxious uh, joke. You can you can figure that pun out for yourselves. And, uh, you know, it's it's dealing with, you know, kind of a classic pop song imagined relationship. You know, here's the girl. This is the problem. We Can Work It Out is, a, you know, it's a very much about relationships, but it's phenomenally adult. I think We Can Work It Out is just one of the greatest uh, singles they put out. I th- no, I would agree with that. And I think the interesting thing is Day Tripper is, um, I think, almost exclusively a Lennon mm-hmm. uh, song, whereas We Can Work It Out, there's a there's a Lennon and McCartney. Uh, Lennon would have it that uh, it was pretty much a 50-50 yes. contribution. It's one of those increasingly, by this stage, rare... Uh, examples of a, of a true collaboration where they're they're throwing lines back and forward. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think I think that's a good analogy that this is a uh, it's McCartney is in a relationship with Jane Asher. Um, he's living in central London. Um, he's exploring more sophisticated songs, mm. forms of songwriting, um, and I think he brings it to bear uh, here. I, I think it's still. My take on the lyric is it's still quite self-serving in terms of, you know, <laughs> the relationship. It's you know why 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 do you have to argue with me? Why can you not say that I'm right? <laughs> that um, I'm Paul. <laughs> a bit of very it's very Paul uh, very Paul um, approach. But yes, I think it's I, I think it's one of those uh, um, lines where you can see that they're moving into a more mature form of songwriting. Yeah, because there's also Paul had a couple of argument songs at this point, didn't he? he had a, I'm looking through you. Wasn't that another Jane Asher? I've had an argument with Jane song. Yep. Um, yeah, quite, quite a few of them. Uh, the thing I like about, you know, uh, We Can Work It Out is, as you point out, it sort of has this, uh, you know, as a reflection of Day Tripper, you know, you could say straightforward lyrics, straightforward musically, whereas We Can Work It Out is a bit more, it's got more subtleties. And so the musical backing is a lot more intricate and subtle and there's a lot more going on. And I do love that feeling in We Can Work It Out that 
Paul is singing his bit, you know, try to see it my way. And then almost like a like a play, yeah. the light goes down on Paul and John is in the background as a Greek chorus. The light goes up on John and he's saying, you know, life is very short and there's no time. It's a, it's a great dramatic kind of framing device for something that's very real. It is, it is. And I mean, I think that the, the change in tempo as well, the sort of, sort of slight waltz, section in the middle yeah. uh, introduces that sense of drama. I should at this point point that that was George's contribution was to uh, was, was to put in the little 3-4 bit was put a little 3-4 bit um, so Paul would say that he came with the verses yes. that he and John uh, then wrote the middle 8 section but it was George's idea well let's, let's just change the uh, mm. change the tempo there. And they're actually you know when I was thinking about it before coming in uh, you know to talk about it today there aren't that many Beatles songs where Paul sings a bit and John sings a bit. There, there's actually a, a handful of them and it's a very powerful device. The only ones I could think of were uh, you've got A Day in the Life, you've got maybe She's Leaving Home where John has mm-hmm. his backing vocal, you've got All Together Now where yep. Paul sings a bit and John sings a bit, Birthday, Paul sings a bit, John sings a bit uh, and of course Free as a Bird. I've got a feeling. Ah yes, yes, I've got a feeling which is another... And again it's two songs put together, two fragments put together and they're yeah. each singing their own bit. But, it, but yeah, that, that's a great kind of collection of songs where they're kind of playing off each other they're kind of perfect uh, perfect tracks um so yeah so this double a side comes out on the same day as rubber soul which is a very much uh, considering how quickly rubber soul came together and how fraughtly it came together and we might have a rubber soul podcast at some point in the future um it's quite a you know if, if you are from the outside not knowing where you know the work that they'd put into that it's quite a height of their powers type statement to put out the 14 tracks of rubber soul and this no not one a side two a side singles right at the end of 65 because there's this issue in 1965 where competition starts to appear on the horizon for uh, the beatles so maybe not from an album sense but certainly on the singles charts you're starting to get great hits from the who and the rolling stones and the kings and all these people are starting to come into their stride in 65 so they're not the only guys in town anymore so it's a you know I think you know compared to what's coming out at the time how do you think they all stand up I think uh, I think that's exactly right I think 65 always for me is the year in which it's British pop sort of comes of age and, and it, it's really coalesces around the single mm. uh, the, the groups that, that you've mentioned and something that we talked about before in a previous episode was just was help yes and the fact that that was little lightweight Mm. um, that it's a transitional album Uh, they must have been extremely conscious of the competition uh, the Stones the Who the Kinks Um, also as you say this slightly harder edge so you have the animals you know you've got them Mm -hmm. it's it's a a rock sound Um, and the interesting thing is Day Tripper to me is the sort of end of that straight a uh, 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 rock sound for the Beatles we can work it out uh, as you say is this more sophisticated uh, sound and I think this is this is a very uh, um, uh, powerful response mm. to that sense of challenge that they must have uh, been feeling also you're looking at what's happening in the States at that time uh, so that first wave of that British invasion where the Beatles were conquering everything before them you now have American bands Yes, are are coming back. coming coming back. So you know you've got the birds, you've got Dylan. Uh, we're, we're sort of twelve months away from uh, the the sort of West Coast uh, Jefferson Airplane mm-hmm. uh, is, is coming out. So there is a huge sense, I think, that um, the the first wave of Beatlemania is subsiding. It's reached its peak, 
Um, so they're moving uh, streets ahead of the competition. I think Rubber Soul and this single really uh, sort of put them out in front again. Yeah, and the, and the cover versions are gone. You know, they're not rocking out anymore. As we said in the Help podcast, you know, they end with Dizzy Miss Lizzie at the end of Help. And it's like, yeah. goodbye to all of that. And, you know, because still a lot of their contemporaries were still knee deep in cover versions, particularly when they're trying to fill up albums at yes. the time. Um, now, the songs, uh, I've, I haven't really found a definitive reason as to why these songs were a double A side. Um, it seems to be that there was some misunderstanding about the two songs, about whether one should have been the A side or one should have been the B side, uh, perhaps with Day Tripper being the B side. Um, there seems to, there's one story I've read where there was some kind of disagreement between John Lennon and EMI. I, I don't know. Do you know any of the specifics? No, I mean, my, my understanding is that uh, Lennon came in with Day Tripper as this is the next single. Yeah. Uh, McCartney then produced uh, uh, his We Can Work It Out. They finished the song. Um, I, I suspect that George Martin was probably put in the slightly invidious position of having to uh, to say, yeah, I like this one or I like that one. Yes. Um, but my strong feeling is there was just such competition between the two of them. Lennon was adamant that that Day Tripper was going to be the yeah. the single. Um, we Can Work It Out was the more popular song in the long run. Uh, that's the one that, uh, that, that that I think won the Ivor Novello Award. Mm-hmm. This is the, the song that uh, these days it would be the most downloads. It got the most uh, radio play. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a situation where Paul, Paul won that one. Yeah, good old Paul. Uh, it's worth uh, pointing out that there are videos for both of those songs. There's actually more than one video for each of the songs, which are basic in television studio recordings of them performing the songs. But probably one of my favourite Beatle moments is at the end of the We Can Work It Out video where uh, John Lennon is just making Paul McCartney laugh, which is one of my favourite Beatle moments where they're just totally uh, kind of ruining it for each other. John's trying to play the harmonium with his elbows. Paul is genuinely, you know, given up for the day <laughs> in terms of trying to get any work done. Um, so we can pull up a YouTube link to that video. So that's the first double A side single. Comes out at the end of 1965. Comes out on the same day as a totally different but artistically successful album, Rubber Soul. We then jump forward to August 1966, the 5th of August 1966. The next double A side single that the Beatles put out is Eleanor Rigby and Yellow Submarine. And that double A side single comes out on the same day as Revolver. And, as you probably know, both Eleanor Rigby and Yellow Submarine this time, they are on Revolver. So they're releasing a single from the album on the same day as the album. Um, I've always felt as a single, this, uh, it never really, I kind of forget that it's a single in a way. I, I, maybe I, Maybe this time around I do pair it more with the album. It just seems to be a bit opportunistic and it also shows how little they actually put out in 1966. I think that that's, yes, we, we mentioned earlier that uh, they tended to, to put standalone singles out. Mm. Um, they simply seem not to have had the material yeah. uh, uh, here. Um, I, I, I've always had very mixed feelings about both songs. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm slightly heretical, but I'm not sure I would be uh, averse to snipping them off Revolver and keeping them as a standalone uh, single. Um, You know, I think that might have been uh, uh, a better approach. Yes. Um, You know, you've got a 
unashamedly children's song in, in Yellow Submarine. Eleanor Rigby is McCartney. Again, it's like yesterday. It's it's almost like a solo McCartney performance with strings. It, it doesn't sound like anything the Beatles have done before. Neither mm-hmm. of them really sound like anything the Beatles have done uh, before. I, I think they make an interesting single. It's probably a testament to their just uh, the scale of their popularity that it got to number one. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure if it had been released by anybody else it would have got to number one. Well, I imagine, you know, um, that there's probably something about the two songs, Eleanor Rigby and uh, Yellow Submarine, that we take for granted uh, today. You know, I, I imagine they were very striking songs to hear in 1966. If you were playing the fun 1966 game of what are the Beatles going to do next, then, uh, you know, you wouldn't have guessed Yellow Submarine and uh, Eleanor Rigby were the next things out of the, you know, like chamber no, music, no. you know, string song and then a children's song about a, you know, an imagined submarine. It's a, it's a, it's, it's an interesting setup. But yeah, it, compared to their 1965, 1966, they don't put out a lot. They put out the 14 songs that make up Revolver and they put out one other single from the start of the Revolver sessions, Paperback Writer and, and Rain. Yeah. And so Yellow Submarine, Eleanor Rigby seems like kind of a, an opportunistic single. It doesn't really you know, if, it, if it's on the album, it almost doesn't need to exist. I think, I think so. I think so. I, I, for me, Paperback Writer and Rain would sit more comfortably on Revolver yeah. than, than these two. Um, but yes, I think it probably was that, uh, that they, they, they needed a single. They didn't have the material. Uh, so they're, they're, they're going to release an album track. And that was really not their normal yeah. way, way of working. Um, Do you think there's any other song on Revolver? That could have worked as a single or as a double A side single. Is there any? It's hard to say. I say I, I, I like the pairing of Paperback Writer mm. and Rain. Mm. I think maybe something like Andrew Bird can sing. Yeah, might 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 have made a good single track. But Revolver is one of those albums where it's it, it's sort of difficult to see where the single yeah the single is. Um, and I suppose that this this remove uh, it, you see these albums as complete. Yes. Things so it's difficult to uh, conceive of hearing one of those songs outside the context of the album. Yeah. But, um, it, it's not a commercial mm-hmm. album, I think. Revolver. Um, yeah, it's certainly not the obvious next step. It, no, it's not the obvious next step. And if you, if, if for example, Yellow Submarine and Eleanor Rigby had come out a month or two before, yes, Revolver, they wouldn't give you any clue as to what Revolver was going to sound like. Yes. And maybe that would have been a better option is to kind of spread them out a little bit differently mm. and then decide whether or not to to, to, to put them on the record. Um, now, obviously, those two songs did not have a uh, any kind of contemporary video made for them at the time. Um, so they kind of, again, you know, the, the singles around them did have films and videos made for them, which we can kind of put in place a little bit more. So maybe that's why they, they kind of uh, step back a, a little bit. The other the other thing that, that uh, I remember, the first Beatles album I ever got was a collection of oldies. Oh, yes. And the last tracks are Yellow Submarine and Alan Rigby, and they stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. that, th- th- this was intended to round up the singles, the non-album yeah. uh, tracks. And I remember even as a sort of 10 or 11 year old when I bought that thinking this would this would sound so much better if as an album, if those two songs weren't there, weren't there. Um, And, uh, you you know, but clearly it was just I I don't see the reason for putting it 
Mm-hmm. But, but get their own revolver. Don't uh, don't the don't they also finish the red album as well? The sixty two to sixty six compilation, aren't they? Right. At yes, the end that's of that? that. That's it. That's it. Can I can I give you my theory about uh, not oh. my theory, but can I give you my uh, my niece's theory <laughs> about the writing of Yellow Submarine? I like have anybody's I, theory about. Have anything. I told you this theory before? I don't believe so. Uh, whenever she was uh, five, five or six, can I say hello, Libby? Um, <laughs> She no, you can't. She, oh, okay. <laughs> we can edit that out. She, 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 and her brother were big fans of uh, Thunderbirds. Oh yeah, and uh, the original. You know, I was forcing them like a good uncle to watch outdated nineteen uh, sixties <laughs> uh, puppetry. And um, she said to me, "Is Thunderbird Four, mm-hmm. which is a little small yellow submarine, the same yellow submarine that the Beatles live on?" Hmm. And, and I couldn't answer that question, so I went and I did some. Yes. research and, yes. you know all good podcasters do their research um, so Thunderbird 4 makes its first appearance in March oh. of 1966 oh. and uh, Ian McDonald has Paul McCartney uh, at, in bed at uh, Jane Asher's house uh, writing this song in April 1966 hmm. so my theory, Libby's theory yes. is until anyone else can come up with a better theory is that Paul McCartney saw Thunderbirds and yes. uh, wrote Yellow Submarine. Because Yellow Submarine is um, a Paul Wright mainly, isn't it? It's not a yes. John song, it's a Paul song. And, of course, yes. Donovan. A Don- <laughs> uh. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. What I mean, does Donovan yeah, yeah. claim to have done for Yellow well, Submarine? Well, he came up with the uh, with the line uh, "sky of blue, sea of green." He doesn't like to talk about it. No, he doesn't. He He's really very doesn't modest. like to talk. He's very reticent. He doesn't about talk about his, the Beatles uh, at all. Uh, involvement with the yes. Beatles. But he he came up with, uh, and even even John. To be fair, even John said Donovan uh, was Read there that. was there writing. Because I think when 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 John the previous year was having his first LSD experiences, they at one point thought they were on submarines and they they were having all that kind of. Uh, so it could be a flashback. Well. So there could be a bit uh, of that, that. As, uh, as well. And the backing vocalists. Can we mentioned just quick credit for Go on. who do we have there uh, so you've got Mal Evans yes Beatles uh, Rody George Martin producer Jeff Emmerich Emmer- engineer Neil Aspinall uh, Beatles gopher Alf Bicknell driver John's chauffeur right Paddy Boyd George's wife Brian Jones from the Rollingstones Marianne Faithful um, Paramour of in several, several yes. stones <laughs> and uh, Brian Epstein Wow, so. I didn't know Brian Epstein was on there as well. There you go. That's a that's a that's a good crew. I have one other thing, which is I'd, I'd listened to to Yellow Submarine for about thirty years, and um, you know the kind of the, the voices in the background bit. There's a bit that goes about halfway through yep. the song. I had never you know paid any attention to this, and uh, one of my own kids pointed out, oh, he's saying tickets, tickets, 
and I went back and listened to the song and every time I hear Yellow Submarine when I get to that noise I'm like oh yeah it is somebody shouting tickets tickets tickets." and I'd never nobody would ever pointed that out to me before so go back and listen to Yellow Submarine and uh, tell us we're right (laughs) so we talk about these songs finishing up the the 62 to 66 compilation album Uh, and then the next double A side is the next single and they are the two songs that open up the 67 to 70 compilation and you know possibly kick open the door to the second half of the Beatles career and some people say it's the greatest double A side of all time and it's the pinnacle of all human achievement Uh, and of course it's the double A side of Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane which was released on the 13th of uh, February 1967 and unlike the previous two double A side singles which were in one way or another collected or connected to an album uh, Strawberry Fields Forever Penny Lane comes out as a double A side on its own nothing else to distract it from and well, I, I do. You you can't criticise Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, can you, Stephen? You can't. You can't. You it, can't. It, I mean, I, I think probably. I think I would agree. It's probably the best single they ever came up with. And yeah. the irony of it stalling at number two, it broke. I think from Please Please Me, it was the first one not to get the number one. Yeah. Uh, and there is a sort of dreadful irony in that that it was uh, Engelbert Humperdinck. Please release me by Engelbert Humperdinck keeps it off the number one spot yeah. in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and it's still uh, it's still something. I think if you're a true Beatles fan, it still kind of sticks in the core a little uh, bit. It does. I, I was I was very uh, upset they didn't uh, re-release it as a single yes. uh, on the 50th anniversary because I think we could have got it to number one. I remember we uh, we sort of, uh, myself and Stephen at the end of 2016, were talking about oh, what would it take to get Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane to number one for its 50th anniversary. Yeah. And we tweeted loads of people. We, one, we, we, we kind of uh, one night on Twitter just thought we'll just try and contact as many people as possible. And we got Sean Lennon. We got Sean back. Lennon. Yeah, we Sean Lennon came back. I, we said, you know, any any chance? And he went, I'm the last person to have any influence over anything to do with Apple or the Beatles. He seemed quite bitter about that. Well, <laughs> I, th- I, I think realistic would be maybe a better yeah. term. But uh, and I, d- I did send an email to uh, the, the the CEO of Apple. Yeah, he didn't get back to me. That's a pity. Yeah. I know. Well, I, I got a nice response from Pete Fides, the journalist. Yes, who kind yes, of, uh, I remember that. Sent me a big long DM about uh, you know getting singles re-released, which was which was very nice. Um, but they didn't re-release it. What they did do was put out a single on the 50th anniversary for Record Store Day mm. as a precursor to the 50th anniversary of the Sgt. Pepper box set coming out. But there wasn't any effort to, to push it back into the charts. Um, I mean, there's probably not an awful lot about Strawberry Fields Forever or Penny Lane that needs to be uh, said, you know. But it certainly comes, uh, you know, roughly six months after the previous double-A side of Eleanor Rigby and Yellow Submarine. And it's uh, for people who... You know, at this point in their career, the Beatles had, you know, they'd finished touring in August 1966. They had taken about a three month or thereabouts break uh, at the end of 1966. John goes off and films his part in the movie How I Won the War in Almeria, where he starts writing Strawberry Fields. And Ringo takes some time off and visits John in Almeria. Doesn't really, I think he, does he start his hairdressers at this point, Ringo? I can't remember. Opens the second hairdressers. There you go. Um, George goes off to India and visits the Taj Mahal and all the rest. And Paul McCartney uh, writes a soundtrack to a movie, The Family Way, because Paul works. That's what Paul does. That's what he does. He's just great. Um, And then they come together at the end of uh, November 1966 and the first three songs they they put together are Strawberry Fields Forever, When I'm 64 and and Penny Lane. Um, And obviously these two songs, people are wondering, you know, are the Beatles done? Are they finished? What's going to happen next? Um, You know, it's a six month gap between singles and then when they when they come out, it's 
it must have been sensational at the time. Yeah, uh, because I think yes, to put put it in context, um, people were speculating. I mean, there's a, there's a a clip uh, that they show regularly every Beatles documentary of each of them arriving at Abbey Road Studios yes. and uh, the reporter saying, you know, what are you up to next? What are you up to now? You're all going to do separate things. You're going to. So there was there was speculation that that really they'd stopped touring. Mm-hmm. They, this was it. So they yeah. peaked and they were all going to go off and do their own things. And that was um, probably a national sport, though. It's about when is this Beatles thing going to stop? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it had been what sort of three, three and a half, four years mm-hmm. at this point. So um, and, you know, McCartney sort of says, you know, well, we, we knew we had Sgt. Pepper uh, sort of in our pocket. We knew we were going to absolutely, uh, you know, blow their minds with this album. But the context of the two singles, perhaps, is that these should have been album tracks. These were being recorded specifically for Sgt. Pepper, specifically for the album. Mm. The idea was to write um, Liverpool-themed songs or songs about their childhood. Uh, Pepper, I think, it is that whole sort of era of Childhood and uh, mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland and uh, Lewis Carroll and all of that going on, and then they're under pressure. They need a single. The mm-hmm. record company, uh, you know, Sir Joe needs a a single, and um, Epstein is under pressure. He puts George Martin under pressure, and George Martin pulls the two songs and, and says, "Well, okay, there you go. That's the single." Mm-hmm. Um, to his regret, it is an interesting thing. First of all, I don't believe that Pepper, or sorry, that uh, Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane should have been on Pepper. I see that they're part of the mm. the time, but I, I, I think almost as the opposite to Alan Rigby and Yellow Submarine, I think their form as this perfect double A side yeah. is, you know, as good a statement as you could make. I think so. And I think the point that you made at the, the sort of the starting talk here is that this, this really kicks the door open for the second, mm. uh, maybe the middle half yes. of their three halves of their career. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, and uh, I think given the length of time without any new product, this yeah. is a collection of oldies had come out, so that was clearly a stopgap. Yep. Um, people are speculating, then suddenly something completely uh, different, completely unexpected, mm. um, which which served then only to increase uh, anticipation Yes, Pepper that would come out in June. So it's always worth reminding ourselves that, you know, when Brian Epstein, you know, envisaged how the Beatles would work. You know, they released their first single at the end of 62 and four years later, from four years on from Love Me Do, they're recording Strawberry Fields Forever. And what Brian Epstein had envisaged would be two albums a year, four singles a year, and he managed that for 63, 64, 65, 66, one album, one separate single. Um, and now there's this big, long six-month gap. And so rock and roll is only just over a decade old, so to speak. So six months is, a, is an age. So the pressure to put out that single, they really delivered. And, of course, they didn't pre- 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 present themselves on television. They didn't do any no. gigs or concerts to it. They put out these two rather fantastic videos that still stand out as videos today. I do. I think, I, I mean, I, I always... Uh, uh I always think uh, this is this is the start of the video age. This yeah. is this is these are two little concept mm. pieces um, specifically filmed. Yeah. There's something the story feels forever starts a the, the video starts a trope that then <laughs> appears in videos for the next 12 or 24 months, which is uh, bands sitting in a forest at a fully set table having their <laughs> dinner, <laughs> which is something that loads of psychedelic bands are doing in 67. The move and I think um, 
uh, traffic and all these other guys were kind of. Does Floyd have a video that does that? Uh, probably, yeah. This sort of we're in the middle of nature with some sort of piece of the real world. So there's there's the Pink Floyd video where they're on a beach with a mannequin and all that kind of stuff. It, once again, the Beatles set that up where they're just sitting in a forest having a fully set dinner, and Mal Evans appears, doesn't he, in that and hands them their uh, their instruments. So. Yeah, Strawberry Fields Forever, Penny Lane. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you know these songs back to front. And, uh, you know, we might touch upon them again in the future when we do a Pepper podcast. Um, But so far, if you look at these three AA sites to date, they've all been released in different circumstances. One with an album, but not on the album. One with an album and on the album. One just standing alone. That kind of leads us on to the fourth and final AA side, which comes out in October 1969. Uh, and so the final double A-side single that the Beatles put out is Something and Come Together. And compared to the other ones, this is a single, a uh, double A-sided single that comes out when the album is already in the charts and the album's already been released, albeit for about a fortnight at that point. Um, and this song doesn't get to number one, certainly doesn't get to number one in the UK no, as a result four, of that. Number four. Uh, this wouldn't have happened on Brian Epstein's watch, would it? No, I think not. I think this, this uh, although it was denied at the time, I think this is very much Alan Klein, who had come in as their manager, um, looking for a quick cash uh, uh, return. Mm. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of, of another occasion in which they released a single off an album that was already out. Possibly in America, this was happening. Capital were a law on yes. themselves. But certainly in the UK, this was something new. And it was, it was uh, an accusation that was levelled at the time uh, that Klein had to deny Yes, it seems to have been. Uh, it, it seems to have been not a, a very well planned double A side single. Uh, I think it seems that once Abbey Road started to circulate, so Abbey Road came out. I think the twenty sixth of uh, September sixty nine, but it had certainly been played and on the airwaves for the mm. previous two to three weeks, and there had been listening parties in Apple, and so people were aware of it. Uh, I don't believe that it was planned very far out that these two songs would be pulled for a double A side, and that the success of something which, of course, something was written by George Harrison, and George Harrison had written um, maybe two B-sides to date, but he'd never written a Beatles A-side. And here he is, um, right at the the, the tail end of their career, sticking down his flag and saying, I'm as good as anything else. And obviously something is something. It's just... Yeah, I think I, I think something uh, sort of really is 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 uh, George coming into his own as a as a songwriter, and that that was really the point that Klein mm. uh, w- was making. Um, so I think in uh, Mark Lewison's book, uh, the, the complete recording sessions, he makes the uh, uh, point that this was a money grabbing exercise. And Klein, this would be 1990. Mm-hmm. Klein writes to Mark Lewison, all oh, right, saying, "No, it, absolutely not." Uh, this was purely a mark of Lennon's regard for the song, something. Yeah. And uh, this is a quote to point out George as a writer and give him the courage to go in and do his own LP. So it was just a purely altruistic uh, <laughs> step by Lennon, who was... Lennon and uh, Klein, two uh, altruistic Altruistic uh, people, absolutely. I think it sets a precedent, though, for them not being at number one. So the previous single to have come out was The Ballad of John and Yoko. Um, which was number one back in June. But it, it, I think it was released when Get Back was still at number yes. one. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that makes no commercial sense. <laughs> well, the Ballad of John Yoko is, uh, I could talk about that for about an hour itself. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that song. I think it's like this curious little anomaly in, in, in the Beatle world. Um, so that's a podcast in itself. That's a, We could do a podcast on the Ballad of John Yoko. Okay. Um, but, uh, but it's hard to put a finger on, you know, 
what the there was an awful lot of wheels moving in the Beatles world in September 69 and we talked about this a bit on our uh, 1970 podcast uh, where you know Klein is get, signing them into a deal in September 69 Lennon finally says I want out you, you know Klein's trying to manipulate EMI to give them better royalties that's coming into play as well um, but if they are a band who are you know coming into the downward slope of, of, of wrapping up you know for a single not to get to number one it kind of does it's obviously the end of an era I think so I think so uh, and the in, the in that context the little video clip uh, the promo clip that they have for that is is interesting as well where you have the the four Beatles and their respective partners yeah. wandering around but they're not in the same shot so it's made up of of uh, uh, sort of separately filmed uh, um, performances, not performances, but just, just them wa- literally wandering around. And yeah. I think at the stage, McCartney and Linda are in Scotland. They filmed their scenes in they Scotland. They filmed their scenes in Scotland and, and just sent them down. And um, uh, we've mentioned a couple of times on, on podcasts, uh, Rob Sheffield yes. and, and his book, Dreaming the Beatles, which every good home should have at least one copy. He has a comment on the on really on the significance of the video. Uh, so he says each couple is projecting a totally different vibe. Mm. George and Patty peacocking in their hippie royalty finery, Paul and Linda on the farm, uh, Ringo and Maureen kind of goofing around on, on little motorbikes, John and Yoko dressed in these sort of imposing black robes. And what he says is each beetle looks like he's found what he was looking for, yeah. but they're heading in four separate directions for four separate futures. And I think that's that's uh, probably as symbolic as anything else of what was happening at the time. Yeah, and it's 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 a video that was put together. So the last time the Beatles are together in a studio working is August 1969, but the Beatles as an entity is still making a video even in four totally separate yeah. streams and trying to shoehorn it together. There's still Beatles things coming I think out. They're, I think they're, they're maintaining that mm. uh, image for the public. And I think, again, back to Klein, that was something he was very adamant that even though he knew when he was renegotiating the contract, he knew when all this was going on mm. that uh, they were falling apart, that Lennon had already said he was going to leave. Yep. Um, but in order for him to sort of carry out his machinations with the EMI and yeah. what have you. They had to present this united front even though they were falling apart. And we're leaning a lot here on something as if it's the presumptive A-side, but it is a double A-side. You have come together on the other side, um, which is a John single. So you now had, with the bad of John Yoko and come together, you've kind of got two John A-sides when Paul had had a run of A-sides in the, in the lead up to that. Um, come together, one of the few Beatles songs that John performed when he was solo. Yeah, to the uh, Madison Square Gardens one-to-one concert. Yeah. And it's unusual not to have Paul in the driving seat. He's trying to make himself noticed on both songs. Yes. I think George never really was a huge fan of what Paul was playing on the bass on something, even though it's a bit ornate. And uh, obviously Paul's very much to the fore with his harmonies and his bass in, uh, in Come Together. But it's odd not to have Mr. Showbiz on the on the driving seat of a Beatles single for yeah. the first time in a very long time. Yeah. I think I, th- I think he is, as you say. He's he's trying to make himself apparent. Yes, I'm here, w- waving from <laughs> hey the guys. waving from the back row. Um, so as I said, that set a precedent in the UK because it didn't get to number one. And then the the next final Beatles single in the UK was uh, "Let It Be," which came out in May 1970, two months before the album. So that did precede the album, and that didn't get to number one either. So you know, it's kind of the end of uh, the end of them as kind of an active group. They they. They stop getting number one, so they stop putting out singles. Right? Yeah, it, it, it is, I, I, and you know, in a way, it's a shame that the the last two uh, the last two singles mm. sort of don't get to number one. Um, I suppose there's an argument for saying, well, 
you know, if people already bought the album. I don't suppose anyone who bought the album would have been expecting yeah. uh, two songs to be pulled um, uh, as a single. Let it be a slightly different in that there's a it's a different mix and there's a B side that that, yeah. that isn't uh, available elsewhere. But um, but obviously, Let It Be and The Long Winding Road get to number one in America. Yeah. But we obviously follow the UK yes, canon here. Yes, the Americans are real. Uh, Americans will buy anything. Um, uh, but <laughs> but uh, um, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I would be tempted to, to sort of think, well, what if they had put something out as a standalone single with a B-side, mm. maybe come together as, as a separate single with a B-side? You know, there were songs kicking around at that stage that they could easily have put something on. on something. Something. Yes. They could put some other <laughs> <Yeah>. song <laughs> on the B-side, um, which would have given an incentive to the record-buying public. You know, this is, uh, you know, uh, the B-sides were always worth hearing. Yeah. Um, so these four double A sides, they each kind of reflect a different bit of light from a different stage in the Beatles story. I suppose to wrap up, Stephen, are there any Beatles singles that you think uh, should have been double A sides? Is there any Beatles single where you think uh, this B side is good enough to be an A side? I know where my vote is. My vote goes to Hey Jude Revolution, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, that's should have uh, been a double A side. That's the only one that kind of springs to mind. Yeah. That, that, that uh, of released singles that, that, yes. that, that I think uh, could, could also have uh, been a double A side. Yeah, I know some people think Paperback Writer and Rain, but I think Rain has a certain cachet from being a B side. Rain, I think there's the, it doesn't, and it doesn't have a commercial no. uh, um, sense about it. I think, um, I think it's probably. The greatest B side. It's in a the way. greatest B side. <laughs> I think it's you know Ringo always says it's his his favorite performance as a drummer. I think it's a better song than Paperback Writer. Uh, it's a better production than, mm-hmm. than, than Paperback Writer. Uh, but no, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's A side or double A side material. Yeah. Okay. So listen, we're going to put up some YouTube links to all of these uh, singles and all the things we've been talking about today on our uh, Twitter feed. Um, hopefully, you found that interesting. The four Beatles double A side singles. If you've got any thoughts about any other songs. Should have been double A sides, or you want to make up your own fantasy Beatles double A sides? Uh, let us know. So that's it. The Beatles double A sides. Uh, this has been nothing is real. My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. Uh, thanks for joining us. Please uh, get in touch. We're on Twitter at Beatles Pod. You can search for us on uh, Facebook and in all the usual places. Please uh, keep subscribing, telling your friends, and listening to the podcast. And we will see you next time on Nothing Is Real. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.